This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, I see Mike in South Philly is on the line. We'll get to Mike in a couple minutes here. He wants to talk about the NBA offseason. At some point, are we going to get to the point, Mike, where the Oklahoma City Thunder and the New Orleans Pelicans just own every pick of the first round in, like, every draft? Are we going to get to that point? It, it seems like they have half the picks now. Uh, you know, when you look at Griffin got three first-rounders for Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City, how many did they get for, for Chris Paul? Uh, it's a uh, lot, I think. They get two or three? Yeah, something like that. But uh, between that and the Paul George trade last year, they have a lot of picks coming up. New Orleans with the AD trade, and now this Drew Holiday pay- trade, they have a ton of picks. I'd say those organizations are in pretty good spots moving forward. Yeah, and uh, cap fle- flexibility as well. Yeah, they're in good spots. Yeah, uh, except for New I still don't know why New Orleans hired Stan Van Gundy, though. I-, I-, I like Stan Van Gundy as a guy. I just don't. I don't know. I don't think he's a very good coach. I'll miss him on TV. I will miss him on TV. He he was good, but we'll get to the NBA in a couple minutes here. Crazy day on Monday, and it's only going to get crazier as the week goes on. And James Harden is going to get traded this week. I feel wow. confident in saying that. Are you? Was that a joking wow or was that a real wow? Oh wow! Like that. That's a pretty bold take. The way this league works, you know it. I mean, when a guy wants out, he usually gets his way. You know, Anthony Davis got it like nine months later, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be sooner for James Harden. I do. Um, And I think the Sixers, if the Sixers want to get this done, they should be able to get it done. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Uh, But real quick, I got to get back to Doug real quick. Because I I wanted to play this last segment, ran out of time. But when you look at whether we have confidence in Doug, that's been my question tonight, is whether you're losing faith and confidence in Doug Peterson based on what we've seen, not just on Sunday, but this year as a whole. The fact that the offense has been unable to get moving at any point. The stupid penalties. The lack of execution. The lack of preparation. The fact that 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 game on Sunday, Doug thought his team was ready to go. And they clearly were not. We're nowhere close to ready to go. And that, you know, being so troubling, but you look at, the organization, and I have questions whether the organization has faith in Doug and whether they truly trust him. Because you look at the Mike Gross situation and Doug saying he was going to be back definitively. 
Mike Groh is my offensive coordinator. He will be back next year. Days later, he's fired. That came from somewhere, whether front office, quarterback, whatever. And Doug was overridden. I don't think that's a very good message to send to your head coach. To kind of take his power away, you know, for everybody to see. And Brandon Lee Galton of Bleeding Green Nation joined Jody Mack earlier. I was just got in, was prepping for the show, and listened to the interview. And there are, were a couple things from this that I found very interesting. It starts out with Doug's play calling and whether Carson Wentz is calling audibles at the line and checking out of a lot of plays and then kind of goes to the larger picture with Doug. Here is Brandon Lee Gowton, uh on with Jody Mack a little earlier on the night. Yeah, I mean, based on, you know, that conversation I had with Joe Santoquito, you know, who wrote the Carson Wentz article a couple years ago, but then I had a follow-up conversation with him on, uh, you know, Bleeding Green Nation's podcast, BDN Radio, earlier this year. Like, you know, he had, a, he had a very good source, I will say. He had a very good, informed source who doesn't really, like, didn't really have, like, an axe to grind. Now, this isn't just someone being anti-Wentz who said that. So... Uh, I definitely put credence into that, and I, yeah, I, it's hard to quantify. And we could be talking about anecdotal evidence here, but right. I mean, it sure seems like everything we know about Carson Wentz is, you know, he's this Type A personality guy. He wants to have control, and I, I definitely think that's a factor here. And I also think when you just look at Doug Peterson's lack of power, I mean, I think that's been present in many regards. You know, Jason Peters deciding he gets to play left tackle. And also get a raise. Uh, you know, Doug Peterson not be able to decide who he has on his coaching staff entirely. Like this, there's just a lot of examples here that kind of make me wonder uh, the power that Doug has. And I'm not trying to say Doug Peterson shouldn't be blamed. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say like he's not part of the problem. He is. He does deserve blame. He's the head coach. But I just think there's this kind of perception, at least from what I'm seeing coming out of Sunday's game against the Giants, that like Carson Wentz is actually fine, and it's only Doug Peterson holding him back. And I would like to not really – I mean, I can't agree with that. I think Carson Wentz is very much to blame for a lot of things gone wrong this season, including his own struggles, of course, obviously. So, so yeah, I, w- I would just caution the idea that, like, you know, actually Carson Wentz is doing great. Um, but Doug Peterson is the only one holding him back. I think Carson Wentz has a lot of influence on this offense. And then we even see that. He just has a lot of power in this organization. I mean, quarterback coach, Russ Taylor, that's a guy who has been here for a long time now, even though Carson Wentz hasn't really progressed as a quarterback. But it's a guy he's very friendly with, and he's remained in that, not only remained in that quarterback coach position, but also got a promotion this offseason, the passing game coordinator. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I think there's a lot to that. When, you know, you, you look at the Wentz situation, it certainly looks like, before this year at least, that Carson Wentz has more power within the organization than Doug Peterson. And it does make me question whether it would be best for a separation with Doug and the Eagles. Now, you know, I'm not sure that's best. I still, maybe I'm insane. I still think Doug Peterson can be a good coach. I do. Um... This year, he has not done a good job. Over the past couple of years, you can question the job he's done. I think there have been other issues, you know, larger than Doug, whether it be roster construction, quarterback play, that have held this team back that I'd put above Doug. Um, but you do got to question whether 
this relationship with the organization Doug Peterson has run its course. Because this is not healthy. The way they're doing it right now is not healthy. Whether it's not letting him pick his coaches, forcing decisions on him based solely on numbers and the analytics, which, you know, because Doug obviously, he said he checked with the guys upstairs on the two-point conversion, the one that everybody questioned, going for two down four, which I questioned as well. I mean, if Doug's being forced in that spot to go strictly by the book and go for two, that that's 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 not a situation you should be putting your head coach in. The head coach should have latitude to choose what to do in that spot. And I think most head coaches would choose to kick the extra point, make it a three-point game, despite what the numbers say. Whether it's those things or, you know, Carson Wentz getting to check out of plays on the field. And we'll get to this in a little bit as well, where Doug talks about his play calling and the fact that he doesn't think his play calling has been all that bad. And I question when we look at the games and all you have to do is watch games. It seems like Carson Wentz is doing a lot of checking at the line. It seems like he is, you know, changing things around. I don't know. I mean, none of us know exactly what's going on whether it's changing protections or or changing plays altogether. But what I know is it's not healthy to take power away from your head coach to to the degree the Eagles have. Not letting him get to choose his chief assistant, which for an offensive coach is his offensive coordinator, regardless of how you feel about the way Mike Gross performed. He's either your head coach or not. You trust him or you don't. There's no middle ground there. And I think it's pretty clear the Eagles don't really trust Doug Peterson to make big decisions for this team and for this organization. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's happening, Mike? How's it going, Tom? What's going on, man? Uh, Yeah, I'll touch on the uh, Doug stuff. But uh, I just want to say... um... Yeah, I learned something interesting about Sixers fans uh, on Monday night, and it's that they would rather have a team in the process than a team in in an NBA Finals. You know, I could not believe the crap I was reading across the social media landscape on Monday about how few people would want to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. And I'm not a Ben Simmons hater. I think my opinion on him is right down the middle. I think... 90% 90% of Ben Simmons' takes are on the extremes. I think he's either too disrespected or uh, people think he's way better than he is. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I think he's a good player. He's not a great player. Um, I don't think he'll ever be great until he develops a jumper, but he's certainly a good basketball player. But the amount of people I saw that said they didn't say, you know, it's, it's a tough call, but I'm leaning no, or, you know, James Harden with two years. No, it was – there's no way in hell I would trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. And it's like Sixers fans, they're the only fan base in this city, Tom, who would turn down multiple Hall of Fame players who are arguably the best in the history of their sport. When LeBron James is a free agent, there were a ton of Sixers fans who said, I don't want them. I only want to win with our guys. Now James Harden's available, and there's a, a bunch of people saying, I don't want him. I want to win with our guys. What is this? Look, this isn't all Sixers fans. Obviously, there's a ton of Sixers fans out there who would love to have James Harden. But I'm looking at the polls, and granted, polls aren't always everything, but you know, they're getting thousands of votes. 
it's usually like 55%. Every poll I see is like 55 to 60% of people don't want James Harden. And I'm like, that's, that's like, that's not anecdotal. Like when I see like 10 polls who are in that range, it's like there's a sizable contingent of Sixers fans who are just so deluded and so brainwashed by the process and the little precious process guys that they would turn down one of the three or four best scores at the guard position in NBA history. And I saw people last night who said they would rather have Robert Covington back than James Harden. And I'm like, yeah. do you people want to win championships or do you just want to construct a team full of quote unquote process guys? Yeah. I'm, look, I was for the process. I love Sam Hickey, but I'm so tired of the, the, a contingent of fans in the city who all they care about is collecting process guys. They don't even care about winning. Like this James Harden, guys like that become available like once a generation, and, this, and he wants to come to Philadelphia. That's another part of it, Tom. Like how many times do you see a great player available but they don't want to come near City. He's available, and the Sixers are on his list, and people don't want him. It boggles my mind. No, I'm with you, my and and you Sorry know for the diatribe. By the no, way. no, I you're free to um you and you know you listen a lot, and you we've talked a lot. You know I'm a big Ben Simmons fan. I am. I think Ben Simmons has the potential to be uh, an elite, elite top five, top three, who knows guy in this league. But I'm with you. If you have the chance to get James Harden, you get James Harden. Because nothing is for certain in the NBA. Nothing's n- nothing's for sure. We could get two years down the line, and Ben Simmons could do what James Harden's doing now and demand a yeah. trade. And then you'd probably have to trade him anyway. And with Joel Embiid's health, you don't know how long he's going to hold up health-wise because of the way he takes care of his body. So he's got three years left on his contract. He might not get you know a ton of prime years after that. If you have the chance to get James Harden now, a guy that fits perfectly with Joel Embiid, even if that means giving up Ben Simmons, I'm with you. I think it's almost a no-brainer. Yeah, and he wants to come here. Like, you know, there's a bunch of star players who don't want to, you know, any part of Philadelphia. And, look, I don't know if Daryl – I mean, the, the latest from Shams was that, you know, the, Houston's not really interested in any of the Nets players aside from, like, Durant or Kyrie, which obviously they're not going to trade those. Uh, and he said, you know, if the Sixers are willing to give up Ben Simmons, then they could find a deal. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, I mean, this – this can't drag out too long because the season starts in a month. This isn't like the summer, you know, this, where the offseason goes on for months. But, like, I think there are – look, I think there are Sixers fans out there who still believe, after everything we've seen over the last two or three years, that it was all Brett Brown's fault. Now, I'm not saying Brett Brown was some Hall of Fame coach. Right. But if you've watched the last few seasons and you don't think this was a roster construction issue, then you're absolutely clueless. They didn't lose the last few years because of Brett Brown. He was a part of it. They lost because their players aren't good enough. MB didn't step up how he needed to in the biggest moments. Ben Simmons didn't step up the way he needed to in the playoffs. I know he was injured last year. We're going to talk about the previous years where he was a non-factor against Boston, you know, et cetera. And – they don't like. I think there are people who believe that all the Sixers need is Doc Rivers, a couple of shooters, and they're on their way to a title. And I'm like, are you nuts? This team isn't close to a title. Doc Rivers isn't going to come here and make Ben Simmons magically become a great shooter. No. He's not going to come here and, and wind back the clock on Al Horford. The Sixers need a top 10 player. That's how you win in the league. You Mike. win with top 10 players. And Mike, and you know, part of it too is. I think James Harden could make Joel Embiid a top 10 player. Yeah. Like, James Harden and Joel Embiid 
should fit great. Like, I don't know how you defend pick and rolls with those two guys. And then you can, then if you were to be able to go out and pick up uh, up a couple shooters, that could significantly help you um, in, you know, kind of filling out this roster. But I, I, I'm with you. And what people don't understand either with the NBA is, They'll look at it and they'll say, well, I'm beating Simmons or Young. You have a long window. Windows in the NBA close so quickly because these stars are unpredictable. Just look at what's happened with Harden right now, with Anthony Davis last year, with Kawhi before that. Um, I am not one of these people that has a huge problem with the player empowerment stuff, but it could come back to bite you because the minute Joel Embiid, who has flirted openly with Jimmy Butler before about leaving, the minute Joel Embiid wants to leave, you probably got to trade him. If he tells you, I'm going to walk at the end of my contract because it's, it's not working with Ben Simmons, then you probably got to trade him. Simmons could do the same thing. So while it seems like there's a long window, that window is not nearly as wide as people think it is. Yeah, and, and also, like, with the way the Sixers box themselves in, like, I always thought since Horford's likely untradeable, or if you do trade him, you're going to take on an equally bad contract probably. Ha- Harris is untradeable. They don't have any high draft picks. They don't have any cap room. I always thought the only way for them to take this core and take it to an NBA Finals level is to either trade Embiid or Simmons because they're, they're their only tradable assets. Right. Well, you have a guy who's a top five NBA player, one of the three greatest scoring guards of all time, who you could get for one of those players. So essentially, you found a get-out-of-jail-free card for the, the, the way that the Sixers box themselves in. If you turn that down, you're nuts because they're never going to get a chance like this again. If they don't trade for James Harden, they're going to be stuck with this core. Yeah. Like, I saw people out there saying, oh, you know, oh, Maury will find a way to trade Horford. Look, Maury's a great executive. You know, he's not Harry Houdini. He's not David Blaine. He's not just going to find a taker to take Harris and Horford right. off your hands. Right. No, Mike, and, and you're, you're a Marvel guy, right? Yeah. Um, you mean, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's like it's like the Thanos thing with the Infinity Stone. Sometimes the only way you can kind of solve your issues is to is to blow it up, and blow it by blow it up, it means you probably would have to trade Simmons and Embiid to kind of fix the roster. Yeah. So uh, if there's yeah. any Sixers fans out there like who are just, I don't want any part of James Harden. I, I heard some people call the guy a loser. I'm like, what the hell have the Sixers won? What, am I missing all the championships that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid won? <laughs> like, oh. So, uh, do you think they're going to get him? By the way, just your prediction. Do you think they'll get him? Um, it's so it's so tough, Mike. I'm going to say no. Um, well, who, but, who do you think will be the reason? Will it be that Houston doesn't want to deal with the Sixers, or the Sixers don't want to deal with Houston? I think that I mean, oh man, it's tough because I, I mean, Harden clearly has a preference to go to Brooklyn, but Brooklyn doesn't have anything that equals Ben Simmons. So, I mean, if the Sixers want to get this done. They should they should be able to. I think in the end, Maury will not pull the trigger on that. But uh, but it's I don't know, man. It's it's really tough yeah. to know because uh, it's going. I think he's going to get dealt to either Brooklyn or Philadelphia this week. So it would be it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Now, um, just, just for the Doug stuff, I, I do agree. I, I feel like he's lost. Although of of the uh, the little paradigm there, I would actually. I have more. If I had to pick one to have the most faith in, it would be Doug over Wentz and Roseman at this point. Not, not saying a lot. My, my faith in all those guys has, has dropped significantly. Um, but he just hasn't been the same since Reich left. But just listening, not, not the Angelo interview, but just listening to like the, I guess the Zoom conference or whatever the, the, the conferences they do now. He, I didn't like what was coming out of his mouth. It was almost Andy McPhailish. Like he was talking about how they're going to start ramping up Alshon Jeffrey if they play. 
Alshon Jeffrey, more snaps versus, versus Cleveland. It's revolt time. Well, well like, the, this is the thing, Mike, and this is what I mean about Doug maybe not having the power that he should have. I, 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 I wouldn't be shocked if he's being, you know, told he needs to play Alshon Jeffrey because of the fact they're paying him. You know what well, I mean? And I, that would be a problem. Yeah, well, what the hell? Like, there's just what happened to like this was a really in sync type of, of of organization. Now, like ever since the Super Bowl year, there's so much meddling all over the place, and you cannot have a consistent, winning, cohesive organization with this kind of meddling. Howie meddling with the coaching staff, Wentz meddling on his end, like uh, you know, Peters calling up Jeff Lurie and meddling there, like. This is a mess. And, and, and when we talked about last night, like Jeffrey Lurie needs to look himself in the mirror. Like it's not just the way they're playing on the field. Like he needs to evaluate everything. Like he has to get control of his organization. Yeah, no, I agree, Mike. And I appreciate the Take call, care. man. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it is kind of troubling um, because I, I do think there's a disconnect. Like I think the head coach is disconnected from the front office. I think the head coach is disconnected from the quarterback. Um, I don't know who the quarterback's connected to because nobody ever seems to really take up for him ever. Um, and I mean, why would you the way he's played? So yeah, I mean, this is the most dysfunctional this organization has been in five years. And I said it last night. I'll say it again. This season feels eerily similar to me as 2015, the last year chip. It feels very similar when you look at the unpreparedness you look at the issues not correcting themselves, um, and you looked at you know a head coach that I feel is pretty you know disconnected and kind of has had his power taken away uh, to a degree um, as far as assembling a coaching staff and uh, you know in some instances maybe coaching the way he needs to co- the way he wants to coach quarterback two one five five nine two nine four nine four if you want to get in two one five five nine two Nine four nine four. See Jaleel, see Nick. We'll get you guys after the break. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, talking about the Eagles, talking about the Sixers. We'll, we'll get in the next segment. We'll get some sound from Zach Lowe and... Mike Angelina's favorite NBA reporter, Brian Windhorst, uh, better known as Windy on this show, uh, talking about um, James Harden possibilities here and the, uh, you know, the potential for the Sixers acquiring him. And, and as I said to Mike in South Philly, I think the Sixers have the upper hand on everybody because they have a chip more valuable than any other team, including Brooklyn, uh, would be able to throw out there. So um, we'll get to that in the next segment in that sound. Um, also, discussing Doug Peterson and the fact that the Eagles, you know, don't seem to have faith in him. You know, we've been asking whether we have faith in Doug long-term. I still do. Um, I think the problems on this team, certainly he's contributed to them. He hasn't done a good enough job, but I tr- have some level of trust that he could... Uh, you know, uh, repair some of the issues. But the organization clearly doesn't have faith in him. That was shown when they didn't allow him to bring back the offensive coordinator that he wanted to bring back. And there is a disconnect between Doug Peterson in this front office and 
If you don't trust your head coach to make the most elemental decisions, like bringing in the coaches he wants to bring in, and making the calls on the field on two-point conversions that he wants to make, because it sounded to me like that call came above Doug's head as well, then you don't really trust him to be your head coach. Uh, you need to either trust your guy or you don't. It's pretty clear to me the Eagles don't trust him. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy for Doug, not healthy for the organization, not healthy for the quarterback either. And they need to get this stuff straightened out and decide whether they truly trust Doug Peterson. And if they don't, it's probably time to move on. Uh, let's go to Jaleel in Delaware. What's up, Jaleel? Hey, what's going on, Tom? What's up, man? Uh, I think I don't really like talking about coaching because it's politics to me. I look at football as a player. Um, I think that maybe Doug inherited some things that went bad when Chip Kelly was here. I think when Chip was here, the Eagles gave him a lot of power, and I think he ruined the Eagles. And I think once Doug came in, I, I think that the Eagles – probably decided to not give a coach so much power again. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, 2017 was 2017, but I think between 2018 and 2019, because of so many injuries, um, the Eagles had to get rid of some players. The Eagles had to get kind of young. And I think one thing that the people upstairs don't understand is that I think Doug is actually a really good coach. And I think that 2019 with, with Rowe and everybody, I mean, their best offense – the best receiver they had was Nelson Aguilar, and they did the best they could with what they had. And now, if he still had rowing those guys now, with the talent they have on offense, I feel like the Eagles would be a lot better. Um, I think that Doug is kind of a man of men and that he'll just deal with whatever happens to him um, on press conferences because he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus or he doesn't want to say that the people upstairs are the ones that are dictating this game and not him. Um I think that uh, uh, the organization needs to bite the bullet and understand that they made a bad decision uh, signing Wentz again. Uh, at this point in the season, I think it's time to start grooming Hurts because it doesn't matter if you make it to the playoffs. You're not going anywhere. Um, it's obviously that Carson Wentz is not your franchise quarterback. So let's get Hurts in, get him some reps, show what it means to be a starter. He was a second-round pick for a reason, so he must have talent. Um, give you a little backstory. Back when I was in high school, uh, we had a, a our our starting quarterback got hurt. Mm-hmm. He was out for the season, so we had to get a, a pretty much of a bummy quarterback. And because of having a bummy quarterback, it makes your receivers look bad. It makes your tight ends look bad. It makes your it makes your offense look bad. And I think people are too scared to admit that Wentz is the problem on this offense. And that if you get him out and you give Hurts a shot. See, see what happens for the rest of the season and see the way things turn around. And I think the organization is just too scared to admit that Wentz is not their guy. They're too soft. If Belichick was here, Wentz would be sitting on the bench eating hot pockets. Yeah, no, no, it's interesting, Jalil, and I appreciate the call. And it kind of goes back to a discussion we were having last week off the Brett Favre thing. And I know Mike and I got into a pretty heated debate about it, but I feel even more confident in my position now that I don't think Doug has the authority to bench Wentz if he wanted to. If if he if he wanted to do it, I I think there's a chance it would be done. Doug knows that his job is in many ways on the line this year. I think you heard that this morning on the morning show, how defensive he was and how, you know, kind of back up against the wall that he was. I mean, he didn't have the authority to bring back his offensive coordinator last year. And I would say 
the idea to bench a starting quarterback is even a bigger decision than that. Why would the front office not want him to you know, use the quarterback they drafted in the second round? Because they want to justify the contract they gave the other quarterback. I, I think it's pretty simple. The other one happened, the, uh, you know, the Hurst pick happened more recently. Yeah, but, but the, Wentz, the Wentz contract is a bigger commitment. I, I mean, I think we can agree on that. that the, giving Wentz the contract you gave him, he's what, uh, the, the third, fifth highest paid quarterback in all football right now? That, that's a very poor reflection on the front office if he ends up being benched for a second-round rookie. Yeah, I mean, contract like it's going to be embarrassing if it ever did happen or if it does happen. It's I just I don't see I I don't know why they would like go to Doug Peterson and say like Hey, you know you're banned from using Jalen Hurts. Like, well, I I don't think I I mean I th- I don't he's obviously not banned. He's playing, but barely. But yeah, but it's I, in their best interest for him to play more. Right, but it you know they they already I think it's pretty clear that they told Doug you can't have the offensive coordinator you want to have. So, obviously, there are decisions being made above his head that he doesn't have the authority to make. Yeah, I mean, that one was made by the owner. It was made we, by the owner. Like, you can't get higher that. than that. Uh, Jeff now, Lurie came out and said it himself when he had that, when he, like, kind of, you know, gathered um, and finally spoke. He said that, you know, when he looked at it, he just didn't like the direction of it. And, you know, he kind of, like, gave an answer similar to, the, I'm not a potted plant sitting in the corner. Thing. Like, hey, if I see something... As the owner, you know, I'm I'm going to speak up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's deeper than that. Personally, I this is only a theory, but I don't think Carson Wentz liked Mike Rowe, personally. And I think Carson Wentz wanted to press Taylor, who he does like to have more input, because yeah, that's mean, exactly I, what ended up happening. I could, I'm not telling you Wentz, um, you know, couldn't have nudged him. He certainly could have. Yeah. So, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where you got to be able to trust your head coach, and I do think one of the things Jaleel brought up was very interesting. That the Eagles are afraid to give a head coach that kind of power again. Because, and I don't think, they, they never give Doug Chip level power. Giving Chip the level of power they gave him was just insanity. They basically made Chip like a dictator for a year. Um, but I do think that it is maybe time to start questioning Howie in that regard. Where, what were the big criticisms of Howie prior to the whole chip thing. It was, and what maybe contributed to necessitating the whole chip thing, how he didn't like giving up any of his power, how he didn't like to, um, you know, have other people dictating to him. And what was the speculation when the Eagles hired Doug initially was that they wanted a guy who was just going to coach the team a guy who would kind of be a good soldier, do what he was told. We didn't think Doug had really much authority when he came in here. And maybe that's the way the Eagles want it. And I do think there's a level of, there's different statures of head coaches. And after Doug won that Super Bowl, it's natural. I, I mean, I'd think the same way if I was Doug. I'd think, well, I'm entitled to have more say now. I'm entitled to have more of an input. And I'm not saying Doug is trying to stage a coup the way Chip did and take control of the whole the whole thing. But I'd be annoyed as if I was Doug too. If I'm not allowed to pick my offensive coordinator, I'm not allowed to keep a guy that I thought was helping the offense. And you look at it now, you know, I, I mean, I think this offense would probably be better off with Mike Groh instead of these assistants they brought in. 
I thought the Mike Rowe stuff was overblown last year. I didn't think Mike Rowe did a terrible job last season, um, especially at the end of the season when they had a bunch of guys down and they were able to keep the offense moving at a decent clip. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a problem. It is a problem. The uh, I think divide that is happening between the front office and Doug Peterson and, you know, whether you believe the Wentz benching stuff or not, whether that's uh, something Doug could have input in, the offensive coordinator thing is absolutely something that he didn't have input in. And if you're not going to trust your head coach, who's an offensive coach, to pick his top and most important assistant, then that guy shouldn't be your head coach because you clearly don't trust him. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to uh, join the show. We'll continue talking Doug Peterson, the Eagles. We got a lot of Carson Wentz stuff that I got to get to in the 4 o'clock hour, including a Baldy breakdown on Twitter. Uh, Baldy's really good at this stuff. Uh, and he broke down a third down play that he thought was a massive mistake by Carson Wentz and maybe, you know, kind of tells the story of why this offense is failing to function at times, things that are reflecting badly on Doug that might not be Doug's fault. So we'll get to that as well. But when we get back, um, I do want to dive a little deeper into the NBA stuff. We'll go through what happened on a very busy Monday in what I think is the first week of the offseason. Me and Paul had a had an argument about this the other night during crossover. But um, the offseason this week, a lot of trades made on Monday. We'll recap that, and we'll let you know where everything stands with James Harden and whether he could be a sixer by the end of the week. I believe it is possible. Basketball is ridiculous. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, filling in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. We will get to some basketball sound in a minute. We got to do our uh, fantasy football update later in the show as well. Um, I guess I didn't fare. I didn't even know how I fared. Uh, I, I knew I was in a close match. I'm assuming I lost, just because that's typically what happens. And, Mike, you pretty much told me I lost earlier. Could have used some help from you in the standings. Okay. I was going against the camera. And everybody wants to beat the camera just because, you know, I don't... I, I don't Because the camera takes fantasy football very seriously. Very seriously. Uh, really, he, yeah, he's not really one of my targets, I gotta say. Well, I told you the story about how I came... I was leaving. I had filled in on the morning show that week we did the draft. And I was leaving at the end of the show, and they were coming in the studio. And I just said, hey, you know, good draft last night. Because we were all in the Zoom. We were Zooming it up, having a good time, watching the Flyers. The, the camera was like 45 seconds ahead of everybody else. <laughs> right. He had some kind of crazy connection. Right. And he thought I was talking about his team. He's like, oh, yeah, you think I have a good team? I'm like, I don't know what your team looks like. <laughs> so I just meant it was, we had a good teams. draft. I didn't have time to go through. Every- yeah, no, I just meant we had a good draft. I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, I didn't look at your team. Right. Uh, so he, you know, he he's he's competitive with it, but that's good. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, you could not, you uh, came up short. Yeah, that well, was one well of my few it. one of my few chances to get a win. Unfortunately, probably. Uh, so we'll get to that it, later on in the show. Wait till I tell you about my game. Okay, I can't can't wait. Yeah, very excited. <laughs> uh, I'll be waiting with bated breath till five 
10 when we do the fantasy football update. It's like 514. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we save it for literally the last minute of the show. Um, and I only do it because I know Al really cares a lot about our fantasy football updates. Oh, uh, good news. In two days, next time you're in, we will have a Gabe Kapler check-in. Oh, we will? Yes. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Al. Now, is Gabe going to be weighing in on the NBA draft? We'll be doing a post-draft show that night. Which uh, Maybe he will be. I was thinking that Mike and I could have done one of our things where we go head-to-head and do a mock draft, but I don't. Yeah. I have no interest in this draft whatsoever. Well, so the, like, it's the more N- about trades than anything else. The NFL one, I think from like 10 through 32, we got like two each. Right, and we yeah. actually studied for that, and we had no <laughs> other sports to talk about at the time. Right. Um, so we will be on after the draft uh, that night where you know I think the hope would be the Sixers don't pick because if they don't pick, probably means they traded their first-round pick. Well, they still have four twos. Uh, well, I don't care about those. Nobody cares about those. But okay. you hope they don't draft in the first round because they don't draft in the first round. They probably traded the first round pick for James Harden. Um, so, well, maybe not according to the sound. We'll get to the sound in a couple minutes here. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Also talking about Doug Peterson and your faith in him, and the fact that the organization clearly doesn't have faith in him. When you fire his coordinator, you you don't let him bring back the guy he clearly wanted to bring back. That's a problem. Whether it's two point conversions and. Doug not being able to make the decisions on those. I think it's pretty clear, down 21-17, Doug even said it. He got the call from upstairs telling him to go for two. Most coaches kick in that spot. You got to have a feel, and uh, kicking in that spot would have been the right move. Um, And I I think there is a distrust with the Eagles to give Doug too much power, and that's not healthy. Uh, Let's go to Jackson in Mount Airy. What's up, Jackson? Hey, thanks for taking my call. No problem. Appreciate it. I was uh, basically listening to you guys talking about, you know, Doug Peterson. And I think this this whole situation has manifest over a three-year period. One, Howie Roseman hasn't been the best in the drafts. I know we had Joe Douglas as part of that, but whenever you draft J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf, that's like, I mean, he's half man, half amazing. Just a beast. Two, the second part of that is the fact that I think there's a connection between Frank Wright and D- John Filippo. You know, being a quarterback coach when Carson had his best years, it seems like um, when we moved on from them, it seems like the last two years, Carson obviously got hurt. Now, has he been playing great this year? No, he's made a lot of bad decisions and so forth. But I think that when you constantly keep moving coaching staffs and, and changing and listening to different voices, Joe, D, I guess DeFilippo and those guys were pretty hard on Carson and got the most out of him. Doug seems to be more passive-aggressive and doesn't get these guys. It seems like he's lost the team. And, and, and two, in the third part, and I'll let you guys go, Carson Wentz being, you know, quarterback, yeah, he hasn't made the best decision, but who else is out there? I mean, is Jalen Hurts the heir apparent to be successful? I mean, there's a reason why he went in the second round. And, and, and I think a lot of combinations, because just because you replaced the quarterback doesn't mean he's going to go out there because of the fact that the offensive line rotation has been like eight, has been like a turnstile. So I'll, I'll uh, hang up. Appreciate you taking my call. No, I, I got you, Jackson. I appreciate the call. As I've said, I mean, I've, I've said it a number of times this year. I, I just, I don't think those excuses fly anymore. I just don't. The offensive line hasn't been very good. There are a lot of, a lot of guys dealing with bad offensive lines in the NFL. Russell Wilson's had a bad offensive line his entire career. Terrible offensive line his entire career. Finds ways to make it happen uh, without having great weapons up until recently. You know, the the really good quarterbacks, 
the quarterbacks you pay, the way the Eagles are paying Carson Wentz, find a way uh, to make it happen. And the lack of skill guys is just not true this year. It's not. I mean, you have Rager, you have Fulgham, you have guys like this who have the ability to make plays. And I, I want to get to that more in the next segment. Um, with, you know, the disconnect between Doug and Carson. Because there's a disconnect in my mind between Doug in the front office, where Doug's not able to bring in the guys he wants to coach and, and so forth. But there's also a disconnect between Doug and Carson Wentz that's pretty clear based on some of Doug's comments and, um, and, and you know, some other things as well in regards to the play calling. So we'll get to that next. But real quick, I want to touch on the NBA stuff from Monday as it was an insane day in the NBA. Um, first move, Chris Paul gets traded to Phoenix for Ricky Rubio and, I don't know, a few other players. I forget exactly who got dealt in that move, but Chris Paul Kelly goes Oubre. to Phoenix. Uh, Kelly Oubre, okay. Ke- and the, the guy from Virginia. Okay. Ty, Ty Jerome. Jerome. Ty Jerome. Um, so Chris Paul goes to Phoenix in a move that, hey, I thought that was a guy the Sixers would be in play for. I thought it was possible. Um, probably not likely because it would have required Oklahoma City taking on somebody like an Al Horford, which they probably would have want, wouldn't have wanted to do. Um, but I thought it was possible. But F- Chris Paul goes to Phoenix. Uh, he should, I guess, help them get in the playoffs with Devin Booker. Uh, still, I-, I don't see that team being much beyond a 7-8 seed in the West. Aiden played pretty well, too, when he came back from his, uh, his drug suspension. Okay. Well, that's always good when you can get a guy fresh off a drug suspension yeah. uh, playing well. So uh, Chris Paul goes to Phoenix. That's one off the board. Mike, how do you feel about your boy Rocco being shipped out to Portland to play with uh, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum? Do you think he'll fit? He should, he should fit in well. Yeah, there. he should. I mean, that team usually shoots a, a lot of threes, um, so I'm sure he can shoot his usual eight or so. Now they got Gary Trent there too, stepped up during the bubble. So uh, I guess a good move for Portland. They gave up a ton. They gave up. Uh, I saw somebody yeah. make this joke on Twitter that you didn't like. I thought it was pretty funny though. Um, uh, I forget who tweeted this, but they said text from an NBA analytics staffer. Houston got more first for Robert Covington than it did for DeAndre Hopkins. Analytics. How about that? More first for Rocco than DeAndre Hopkins. Rocco. Um, so Rocco goes to Portland. So uh, anything else you want to add on that? Uh, are you upset that Rocco is not going to come back to the Sixers now? Do you think that was possible? I didn't think he was ever in the mix. Okay. Uh, you didn't I, think you'd throw think, in in a Harden deal? I, I guess we could, you know, we could use a fifth power forward. You yeah. Know? Uh, so Rocco to to Portland, Rocco. And, and then Drew Holiday to Milwaukee. Drew Holiday, another guy that I thought might have been a nice fallback option for the Sixers. That would have put the process. It would have been so perfect if the Sixers had traded for Drew Holiday, and then I'm sure Mike, you saw Nerlens Noel post like a a, a weird thing on Facebook about potentially coming back to the Sixers? No, I didn't say that. He posted a picture of him playing at the Wells Fargo Center saying can't wait or something like that. That would have been like the perfect process thing all coming back is they signed Noel and they trade for Drew Drew Holiday, who they traded initially to take Noel and start this whole thing. Thanks for explaining it, yeah. Right. Well, some people aren't as (laughs) well-versed as we are in this. Um, But, so Drew Holiday goes to Milwaukee, and a move Milwaukee probably had to make. They're trying to keep Giannis. They need to do anything they can to win. They trade George Hill, Bledsoe. Bledsoe stinks anyway. And three first-rounders for Drew Holiday. It's a lot to give up. Well, So how about this? The uh, 
the Bucks gave up more first round picks than uh, you know the, the Packers got for Brett Favre. How about that? I mean, that's a stretch. A little bit of a stretch. <laughs> you want to do your football thing? Yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch. Not not that timely. DeAndre Hopkins happened yeah, a like few months ago. ago. He was talking about twelve <laughs> years ago. So re- real real great, Mike. Uh, very timely stuff from you. Thank there. you. Staying up to date. Um, but that leaves James Harden, and James Harden now becomes the big fish on the board. He obviously is the big fish. Well, the big fish in the water, I guess, is probably the uh, appropriate terminology. But um, James Harden is a top three, five player in this league, might be the best scorer in the NBA. Some people argue he's the best scorer in NBA history. Now, uh, the way he plays annoys people. I think that partially has to do with the situation in Houston. But there's no doubt that if the Sixers were to get James Harden, it is a game changer. I mean, it changes everything for your organization. Um, And I think it's possible. Now, where we stand at this point... James Harden turned down a Supermax offer from Houston, which basically would have extended his contract uh, two years, and he'd be the first 50 million-plus player in NBA history. He turned that down. That's how badly he wants to get out of Houston. And right now, it seems like he has his eyes set on Brooklyn and joining up with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving with the Brooklyn Nets and forming... Kind of the newest super team. Apparently, he's been working out with them this offseason. That's how a lot of this stuff starts in the NBA. And that is apparently where James Harden prefers to go. But there were reports he'd also consider Philadelphia. Now, here is, uh, this is courtesy of the Low Post podcast. I was listening to it coming in. Um, Zach Lowe did a podcast with with Brian Windhorst, Windy, as we call him. And uh, here was Zach Lowe laying out what a potential package would look like going from Brooklyn to Houston. Here's the offer that is a lot that the Nets, I think, would not just say out of hand, we can't do that. Lavert, Allen, Dinwiddie, all three have to be in it. Some salary filler to make the math work, minor salary filler. The 19th pick in this draft, which they have from Philadelphia, I think, I can't even remember anymore. 2022 unprotected. 2024 unprotected. So that's the furthest you go out, 2024. Okay, so there's no 2026, 2027. And if I'm Brooklyn, I make Harden pick up his player option as part of the deal. And I'm not done. And in the in-between years, 2021 and 2023, pick swaps. That's the Brooklyn, uh, Boston yes. model. So which, so which was which was repeated by Oklahoma City. So my question is, so again, I think if if these teams ever really engage, I think part of the fight will be Houston will want those unprotected picks to be 2025, 2026 out there because Durant, Harden, Irving will be old and the Nets have that same downside risk. You're talking about the one that came back to bite them in the ass with the Celtics and the Nets will probably push to say, no, we want it all sooner. And here are the scenarios. So that's that offer is where I sort of mentally coalesce three first, two swaps and those three players plus filler. Now, you know, uh, that that's a lot the Nets have to give up, but, you know, not really a ton when you think about it. I, I've always thought, I said back during the bubble, when Levert was having this explosion, that Karis Levert probably gets traded this offseason, because mm-hmm. why not trade him at the height of his value? He's a ball-dominant player. I didn't think it was going to be for James Harden. 
Um, but I thought he'd be involved at, in some sort of a deal for Brooklyn to try to get a third star-ish type player. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm missing something. Like, I don't see how the, this trade is realistic. Like, they're still off by like 20 million. Right. I don't know where you make that up. You you can throw in every bench player you can think of. Yeah, I mean, they'll find a way to get the money worked out. I mean, if they if teams want to make deals, they can find a way to fix the money part of it. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think and and just for for, you know, the sake of this argument, we'll we'll say that. And I think it is true. If Brooklyn wanted to get this deal done, I think they could find a way to do it. We'll we'll see. But you know, you look at it and yeah, that's a decent package. But this is where I feel the Sixers are in the driver's seat. Is that if James Harden is willing to come to Philadelphia, the Sixers can make this happen. Because all that stuff from Brooklyn, and it's a lot of players, a lot of picks, pick swaps, whatever. It does not equal what the Sixers have. Which is a potential superstar player in return. The Sixers have a better asset than anybody trying to get in on James Harden can offer. And Brooklyn being, you know, uh, the main factor in here. And here's more uh, from Zach Lowe talking about what it would look like if the Sixers made the made an offer for James Harden. What What's do you Philadelphia's th- offer? Philadelphia's offer uh, down the line? Down the line. I don't think it's the offer now, Okay. Philadelphia is offered, and that's the pertinent question because the pertinent question is: Should I don't think there's even been an offer by anybody? No, there hasn't. There hasn't. Okay. There hasn't. For, just for the record, not that, that, not that I know of. Uh, but the the question: So that Nets offer should it ever exist? You obviously have two questions: A, should the Nets actually offer that much for James Harden, and B, should the Rockets take that offer? Follow up to B: What's the rival offer? Who? Are, what's the competitive offer? We can get into that, but the most obvious one is Ben Simmons for James Harden. Which I do think if Philly's if Philly senses okay, we've just reached Ben Simmons just, and what? Ben Simmons is no, not an and MVP. nothing. And nothing. If I'm Philly and nothing. I if I'm Philly, if I'm putting more than Ben Ben Simmons is twenty four years old, he just made the all NBA team. You're not getting a better player than Ben Simmons for James Harden, I don't think. Okay. Um I I, I, I might eat well. I, maybe a second. Maybe a second. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay, done deal. That was that's that's why that pushed it over the line. No, I agree. You know, it, it's true. Houston, they're not getting a better player in return for James Harden. And if you're going to trade James Harden, Mike, I want your you're a big basketball guy. Your input on this. If you're Houston, what's the more appealing offer to you? At least for for me, I'd rather have Ben Simmons than any of that crap. Houston, uh, Brooklyn wants to give me. Yeah, he's a 24 year old All NBA player already. Who's already signed? He's he's a top fifteen player. He was twenty four, and he's under contract for the next five years. Yeah, at a relatively affordable. Honestly, for what he could become, he's being underpaid because you're not allowed to get the you know max super max contract on your first extension. So yeah, I think if Harden's willing to come here and the Sixers are willing to part with Ben Simmons, this is, could realistically happen. I don't think Houston's getting a better offer than Ben Simmons. They're not going to get a better player than Ben Simmons anywhere on the market right now. No, hard to think of one. Yeah. So we'll see how this week plays out, but it is a, a very real possibility here. And, you know, what if, what is the what do the Rockets care what James Harden wants? Like, if James Harden, 
you know, wants to go to Brooklyn, Houston doesn't have to trade him there uh, because, you know, he wants to go there if they're offering a worse offer than the Sixers are, right? No, and I mean, I don't know much about James Harden's agent. I don't, I don't, yeah, you know. And he has the relationship with Maury, so you'd think this would be a place that would be to his liking. Um, And man, I, and I'm a big Ben Simmons fan. I have been for his entire career. I still believe he can be a, a top elite MVP candidate type player in this league as he progresses. But the idea of Embiid and Harden together is, I don't know how you defend them. I really don't know how you defend him and pick and roll. And all of a sudden, you swap out Simmons for Harden on this roster, the roster looks a lot better. You know? Um, if you add some shooters, I'm sure you tinker elsewhere a little bit. Still try to get somebody to take Horford. Still try to get somebody to take Harris. But um, I don't think things would look all, look all that bad if you if you got James Harden here. So um, it's going to be interesting to see in the next week. But I do believe it's a possibility. Would you trade Ben Simmons for James Harden? Um, would you do it? Uh, because I, I think that's a decision that Daryl Morey is going to have to make uh, probably sooner than he expected, whether he's going to be willing to part with Simmons. Probably has to decide this week. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Talking about the Sixers. Um, also, Doug Peterson, do the Eagles have faith in him moving forward? Do, do you and does the organization? I don't think the organization does. That was clear when they forced him to fire Mike Groh. They wouldn't let him keep the guy he clearly wanted to keep. Um, and uh, you see the two-point conversion decisions. Some of these things that I think are kind of out of Doug's hands. Um, and if you don't trust your head coach, he shouldn't be your head coach. So we've been discussing that. And when we get back, uh, I see Jay's there. Jay, you'll be first right after the break. And then I want to get into the divide between Doug and Carson Wentz a little bit. Because I think there's an issue there as well. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly. in for Big Daddy Graham. Sports Radio 94 WIP.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.